The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. With me today is the guest co-host is David Johnson because Bradley Sal is out on assignment and today's guest on Talk of Champions is Kylie McDaniel, ESPN Baseball Insider. He knows anything and everything about MLB draft prospects. So what do you think we're going to talk about? Gunnar Hoagland. What is his draft stock now that he's having season-ending Tommy John surgery on May 18th? And he's coming up in just a little bit. But first, David, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? And I'm glad to be with you here on the Talk of champions. Well, I'm glad to have you. It's always good to have you, man. What are you working on right now? Because it's kind of the dead time for most all of us. We're just digging for stuff. Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's that's a pretty accurate assessment of things. You know, we're we're on the launching pad, waiting for camp season to start in early June. And, uh, you know, you're going to have just legions of recruits roll through the Manning Center. Uh, I can tell you now the prospects are as eager as the coaches to resume this process as part of the recruiting process and uh, you know we can't wait to be out there staked out in front of the Manning Center and seeing who comes to Oxford and who doesn't this summer and to be able to report all that news Um, you know we're entering postseason time for the diamond sports as you well know so uh, you know anxiously awaiting to see what happens with the Ole Miss softball team they're squarely in there's no doubt about that. Most likely as a number two seed and probably, uh, you know, all the projections I've looked at, they have the rebels, uh, getting on a plane and heading out to the Pacific Northwest, uh, to play at, uh, the university of Washington in a, in a regional. And, uh, you know, we'll just see what happens. They're on a four game skid right now. Uh, really of no fault of their own. Look, they ran into Alabama, which, uh, who may very well be the best team in the country this year. They got swept over there. And then, uh, you know, a red-hot Mississippi State team at the SEC tournament has now won eight in a row as we're doing this podcast uh, in SEC play. So uh, I don't think it's alarming, the four-game skid. Certainly something uh, you don't want to be headed into the NCAA tournament dealing with. But that's just kind of how it is. But uh, new season, new beginnings, we'll see what happens. 
Do I hear birds chirping? Are you outside enjoying the day? I actually am. It's uh, I have setting on my back porch, and nice. uh, my wife has got about oh, a half dozen bird houses and bird feeders out here, so uh, they tend to flock as well as uh, squirrels. We've got an overabundance of squirrel population. Ew, that sounds terrible. No, it's kind of fun to watch them. That's how I can tell I'm getting old because uh, <laughs> sometimes I find myself just stopping at the kitchen window and watching the squirrels play in the backyard. That is not me from 10, 15 years ago. Oh, I would have never good. done that. Oh, bird watching now, and squirrel watching, that's perfect. I'm actually growing jalapeno peppers this summer too. Another oh, you got a garden? That, uh, I, well, I've got a bunch of potted jalapeno pepper plants. Okay. So uh, another sign that uh, I'm approaching my golden era. I heard the birds chirping. I'm like, yeah, David's on his back porch. He's just chilling, enjoying the day. And I looked out my window and went, God, I should be enjoying this day too. It's too pretty outside, man. Beautiful day. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's not wonderful. a beautiful day necessarily for Ole Miss baseball because they've lost five of their last six SEC series. Gunnar Hoagland's undergoing season-ending elbow surgery. Tommy John, most commonly referred to. The UCL joint is what they're dealing with. A new UCL ligament will be put in his elbow, his throwing arm elbow, May 18th. So that obviously dampens the mood in regards to Ole Miss's postseason chances and what they'll be able to accomplish. But Ole Miss does face this weekend Vanderbilt and then Georgia, and that will close out the regular season and is expected to be one of the 20 host sites. Obviously, will be hosting the Oxford Regional at some point. But national seed, that's pretty much out the window. It has nothing to do with Gunner, more or less the – recent work now you've been watching Ole Miss baseball from afar what is your overall take of everything you've been seeing number one uh, you know the injuries this year and I'm not trying to make excuses because I mean I read the message boards every day I know there's a contingency of fans out there that are very unhappy with uh you know I don't want to say lack of success but the lack of the success they desire uh for the Ole Miss baseball program and I get that in a sense and I've been one to uh, pipe in every now and then and go, look, if my Bianco had had the similar success as a football coach at Ole Miss that he's had as a baseball coach, there'd be a statue of him outside Vaughn Hemingway Stadium. But I get both sides of the argument or the debate that rages daily on our message board. Um, you know, Ole Miss has one of the highest baseball budgets in the country, one of the biggest baseball budgets in the country. And, uh, so I don't think it's wrong for those fans who are demanding more to demand more. I don't think that's wrong at all. But at the same time, I think you have to be an adult here and, and, and take a long view of where Ole Miss baseball was before Bianco and what it has become since. Um, and um, I don't know. I mean, you're more qualified to weigh in on that than I am. I mean, you know, you know the intricate workings of this baseball program. You also know where there are some deficiencies in terms of recruiting compared to other SEC programs. I mean, I think everybody would be interested to know what you thought about that. Yeah, because obviously Ole Miss is disadvantaged as far as scholarship numbers compared to Vanderbilt and LSU. Right. Auburn, Vanderbilt can manipulate scholarships and get better players because they can do something through their private school uh, funding to allow for players to still get compensated while playing baseball without going on scholarship officially for baseball. I think I've got that correct. But one thing that um, I've kind of come to the conclusion of is this. Ole Miss baseball has lost five of its last six series. That's bad. 
Ole Miss baseball is still yeah. in a good position to host. It's going to host. That's good. But Ole Miss has made two Super Regionals in the last 12 years. Mike is 1-7 with an opportunity to go to Omaha on the line. He's lost 16 of 19 to Mississippi State. I completely sympathize with people who are frustrated and who feel like it's time to move on, that it's grown stale, that they're just ready for something new. Okay, understanding that and sympathizing with that, though I do have some disagreements with that, my response would be for Mike, who would never take my advice, would be to at least understand where they're coming from and rather than dig in your hills and be defensive and answering questions about very reasonable and understandable questions, maybe be a little bit more approachable. Because when they see you on a Zoom call getting pissy, answering a question about Gunnar Hoagland to chase Palmer Rebel Grove, which is exactly what happened on Wednesday. And I had some questions too. I said that to Chase afterwards. I said, man, I had some questions. I should have backed you up. But I think fans can see now why it's hard to ask Mike anything because Mike will always inevitably, you have to soften it up to such a degree to where he'll actually give a reasonable answer. Otherwise, it just turns into, let me attack the media member that asked the question. See, that's just not the way to go if you're in a place like this where your fans are frustrated. Man, just answer the questions. These are completely reasonable questions, and we can't, even if we ask the toughest of tough questions, and we have, we can't make Mike Bianco answer those questions in a reasonable way. But is is he just responding to him with how his personality is? I mean, he's not he's not going to hold grudges against media people who, who ask him difficult questions. He's not that kind of coach, is he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Well, we've dealt with those. The reason I asked, so we dealt with those football coaches before. Yeah. Uh, one in particular I mean, named Hugh Freeze. You asked Hugh something he didn't like at a press conference. He, he'd wear that on his shoulder for a while. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a difficult situation for media members to be in for sure. Um, but, um, you know, I get it. I mean, there now is the time tough questions have to be asked. And, uh, you know, I think not only of, uh, of Mike, but I mean, I think once the season rolls in and, uh, you know, you see what ultimately happens, tough questions of Keith Carter as well. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, particularly in the fact, you know, what was it, two years ago, he didn't renew it. So, uh, See, which to me is uh, always the wrong call to make because half measures are just silly. Look, he's either your guy or he's right. not. If he's your guy moving forward, you extend him, um, just looks bad. It's a bad look overall, and it doesn't help you in any way, shape, or form. So if he's not your guy, you fire him. If he is your guy, you extend him. That's how it always should be. Now, you can obviously haggle if you want to about the buyout but as far as extending and all that kind of stuff that was just a half measure that i think even keith would admit was the wrong move to make he's either your guy or he's not period but as far as mike is concerned i'm not advocating one thing or another all i'm simply saying is it is perfectly reasonable to be asked about when he felt Gunnar hoagland forearm stiffness in his bullpen warming up for texas a&m and that is a ucl indicator as chase put it which is more than fair because it is. I mean, when you hear forearm stiffness, you know immediately or think immediately UCL. That's where my brain went. Heck, when he said bicep stiffness, I thought, oh, crap, that could be UCL. I don't pretend to know more than Mike Bianco, but Mike has more accessibility, the most accessibility to information that no one else has. So having that, of course, fans have questions. And sometimes you got to protect the player from himself. 
And even if Gunnar Hogan's telling you, no, I'm fine, I want to give it a shot, I want to give it a shot, when you hear forearm stiffness, knowing that's a UCL indicator, you can scratch him. I'm not saying at all that Gunnar Hogan going out there and pitching is the reason why he's having Tommy John. That's not the reason. That told me the forearm stiffness in the bullpen, maybe even the bicep stiffness, even though they try to say those are two separate things completely, that tells me the UCL was already well torn before he went out there to pitch. Well, and let, let's be honest here, Ben. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's just but, a fair uh, question. You know, I, I got a pitcher down there who is experiencing those symptoms with a, with a professional career on the line. Why would I send him out there in what has to be a very fragile mental state at that point in time as well? I mean, you know, I, I'm not a baseball guy, but I wouldn't have done that. I, I would not have sent him out there. I mean, complaining about I mean, the, the kids physical out there saying part that of it. He feels good. I want to pitch. But again, you got to protect the kid from himself. Once you hear that, I'm not saying, and we'll never say that the reason he pitches is the reason why he tore his UCL. He had already torn it, is my guess. Right. That's usually what happens right. when you feel the forearm stiffness. Oh, he'd already torn it. So any thought yeah. to it, scratching him and getting the MRI right then and there, that's a perfectly reasonable question. Hell, I was going to ask him, why not get an MRI just for precautionary reasons after the bicep stiffness? But the way he answered those questions, now I think fans see why it's so hard because it doesn't matter how you phrase it, even if it's perfectly reasonable, even if you soften it up for him, which you don't even have to do, you shouldn't have to do that, but you have to if you want to get any kind of reasonable answer out of Mike Bianco most times when he's like that. Now you see why it's difficult. And I just said, screw it. I'm not going to ask that question because God knows um, he'll just turn it around. Every question became a defensive answer for Mike Bianco about, oh, it has nothing to do with me, even innocuous questions. I think I asked him about keeping Gunnar Hoagland involved, right, which is very simple. It has to do with charting games and stuff like that, being in the dugout. It's simply color for a story I'm writing about Gunnar and how he'll stay involved as he goes through Tommy John. And yet it was, well, that has nothing to do with me. And I'm not trying to attack Mike Bianco so much as say, read the room. It's not in any way the right move when you've gone through this stretch that you've gone through, which no one blames you for Tim Elko getting hurt. No one blames you for Gunnar Hoagland getting hurt. That's not what Chase was doing. And it wouldn't have been me attacking you or saying you were at fault for not getting an MRI after the bicep stiffness. So rather than be defensive, read the room, understand that no one's blaming you for those things, but those are reasonable questions that need to be answered because you're the one that has access to the information and you have made it abundantly clear from day one since you've been here for 21 years that you are the guy that is Ole Miss baseball. You are Ole Miss baseball personified. So if that's the case, you got to take the bad or the uncomfortable with the good. And lately... The good slash great hasn't been all that great. You've got two super regional appearances in 12 years. You're one for seven in Omaha advancement, and you've lost 16 of 19 to your in-state rival. So I just don't understand how you can go about that interview like he did and think it's okay. Because he's come at me before, and I've told him on the Zooms, He's like, I didn't mean to be uh, sarcastic. I'm like, hey, cool, man. I mean, David, you know me. I was like, cool, man. I, I love sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, I'm a jackass. Cool. Say what you want to. It doesn't bother me. Come at me. I don't care. But just answering the questions is not something that is difficult or should be considered difficult for you to do. You are our voice for Ole Miss baseball. If you were in Keith Carter's shoes, depending on how this year finishes out and let's just say 
They host a regional and they don't make it out. Ben, I mean, what do you, what would you do? We'll get right back to David Johnson in this edition of Talk of Champions with Kylie McDaniel, ESPN Baseball Insider, coming up on the Modern Woodman phone line after I tell you about Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Are you looking for a career change? Maybe COVID threw you for a loop. Maybe it's time that you did something else. Maybe you're just tired of working nine to five for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else. Well, our phone line sponsor, Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, is looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary. You do have to be a resident of Mississippi, but what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. Don't wait around anymore. It's time to make a change. So for more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas Chandler today directly through Facebook or his number at 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Make the change. Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, the title sponsor of Talk of Champions. I have no idea what I'd do. I know it's a cop-out, but I have no idea what I'd do. But But the thing is, before yesterday, I'd have said, oh, yeah, you roll them over. And then next year, you see what happens. But at some point, fan sentiment weighs in. I'm just going to say that. Now, I know that the message boards aren't real life. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. Well, let, let's It's just a small real. sample. The message boards had a lot to do with Matt Luke getting fired when he got fired. Yeah. Or just overall online, social media, message boards, everything. Yeah. 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 I would be absolutely shocked if he got fired. So I never even thought it was a topic worthy of discussion. And frankly, it, far be it for me to weigh in on that because I'm in no way involved in the decision-making process and it'd be silly for me to speculate. But after hearing how he approached those questions on Wednesday, and people might look at that interview and say, oh, that wasn't that bad. Go watch interview after interview after interview and, and notice a pattern. If things are going bad or if it's uncomfortable, Mike's got a problem. And the only people he can lash out at apparently is the media. And quite frankly, had he not been on the Zoom video conference with us, the minute Chase asked that question, if we were standing in front of him out in the outfield like we usually do after games, his immediate answer would have been to make that smile, that rise smile, look Chase dead in the eye and say, I don't know, how about that? And he'd have stopped. But knowing that he's on video, he collected himself and gave an over-explained answer, quite frankly, of why he did what he did. But no one's blaming him for Gunnar Hoagland tearing his UCL. No one's doing that. They're simply asking... Did you consider scratching him and getting the MRI? And another question I had that I didn't ask because, again, I felt like this is a lost cause. When, he, when he's in a mood like this, it doesn't matter. I could say, Mike, you're the greatest guy to ever live. Now, having said that, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't matter. I knew this on Monday. I told you, you knew this too. The news was bad and Gunnar was going to have surgery. You knew that because I told you that. You can vouch for me on that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The news was delayed. You get MRI results immediately. He knew. So what was the reason for delaying? And I think the only reason they released it when they did on Tuesday is because I had it and Chase had it and it was going to get out. Otherwise, he would have waited till Wednesday after the game, a game in which he was suspended for in a game that, quite frankly, his in-game decision-making cost Ole Miss the game. And I wanted to ask him about that. But there was no post-game Zoom on Sunday. 
I mean, you got a guy on the Zoom conference with Jacob Gonzalez, and it's no knock on this guy. I mean, look, do your thing, man. I'm not hating on you. But he asked Jacob Gonzalez about an at-bat on Saturday. I mean, it's, it's Wednesday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, we're, we're, we're sitting here kind of, uh, <clears throat> kind of, you know, we're critiquing Mike Bianca's uh, press conference etiquette. Uh, I'll just interject this, not to change the subject, but maybe to kind of sort of change the subject. At least he showed up for the post game zoom. Um, That's true. You know, I think I think for the first time ever, an Ole Miss coach on Wednesday didn't come to the post game press conference at an SEC tournament, um, yeah. which was kind of shocking. I'm not being critical. I know things happen, uh, but uh, it seems like coming to a press conference after your team is eliminated in an SEC tournament game would be pretty high on your list of priorities. Um, but uh, no Jamie Traxel after the uh, Wednesday loss to Mississippi State at the SEC tournament in Tuscaloosa, which, uh, again, I'm not trying to be critical. I know things happen. Maybe you missed the bus. Just a little odd. Oh, I'm being critical. I fully admit I'm being critical because I don't believe Mike Bianco is above reproach. But I've always tried to be respectful because, in my mind, there's just this common or understood respect between the coaches and the media. Now, that has become much more adversarial over the last handful of years as the space has gotten flooded with fan media types and blogs and websites that are founded just specifically to be about that particular school and rallying for that school yeah. and cheerleading for that raw, school. Raw, yeah. Raw, raw yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get people, that. People who are on every single Ole Miss press conference that for the life of me have not asked a question yeah. in 10 years. But then I think there, about they, how Mike answered that question and a few others and go, well, now I get why those guys never ask any questions. Not that I agree with it because you should be asking questions if you're on a Zoom, not just poaching other people's answers because that's their work, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. But then I go, okay, I get it. They're intimidated by it. I'm not intimidated by it. I'm just frustrated that after everything that's happened – People at least understanding that Tim Elko's not your fault. Gunnar Hoagland's not your fault. Doug Nikhazy's not your fault. Um, Kel Baker's not your fault. Max Chofi's not your fault. No one's saying it's your fault. Every question was turned back to, well, that has nothing to do with me. It's not about you. It's not about you. That's not what the question was about. The question was about the kid and his medical. That was all. And Chase phrased it in the most non-adversarial way possible. And it made me really frustrated and prevented me from asking a few other questions, which I now regret because I told Chase, man, I should have had your back more because I felt like if I had asked those questions and he didn't answer like I know how he would have answered, you know me, I have a quick temper. So it would not have gone over well. It's a bad attitude to take. And I don't well, want to treat anybody like that, but it's like, just read the room. Just read the room. Understand how frustrated your fan base is, man. Understand that. Andy Kennedy knew that. And you know what Andy Kennedy did? I'm not saying you get up there and you do like the dog and pony show where you're dancing and jigging for everybody just to make them laugh at you so that they look away from the record. But Andy Kennedy at least treated these opportunities because knowing that we were the conduits to the fans, he at least wanted to talk to the fans in a way that they were on his side a little bit more. Mike Bianco, it's like he's digging in his heels and saying, okay, it's me versus the world. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? Yeah, it's like all those times when Ole Miss had just 
terrible, terrible defenses, and all we ever heard about were bad eyes. Bad eyes. Bad eyes and bad fits. <laughs> bad fits and bad eyes <clears throat> over and over. Bad eyes and bad fits plagued the Ole Miss defense for a couple of years there. And, uh, you know, that was just – you could write, write the presser before you ever went in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we, we had bad eyes. Uh, we, we didn't make our fits. We had bad eyes. And then if you say, what okay, all that mean? yeah, well, what does that mean? We can't make the explanation be acceptable for Ole Miss fans. Even if there was a follow-up, which was a perfectly understandable follow-up to any of the questions Mike was asked, we can't make him give the answer that you want. I know Ole Miss fans are frustrated. I feel that. A lot of them are very frustrated. The message boards and Twitter and Facebook aren't real life, but it's enough of a sample size to know that you at least need to pay attention to it. And like you said, all of that groundswell of online grassroots uprising in regards to Lane Kiffin is a big reason why Keith Carter pivoted. Because early in that coaching search, he was not talking to Lane Kiffin. He wasn't considering Lane Kiffin. I know that the uh, school that hires the coach, they always hire the number one choice, right? That's not the case. It's never the case. All right? but Never the case. case, And... um, well, and to take that a step further, you know, all the, the, the fan persona via social media and the message boards after the Lane Kiffin hired Ole Miss caused Joe Moorhead to be fired at Mississippi State yeah. Yeah. after two seasons. I, I mean, it is absolutely – we're living in lunatic times where, uh, you know, fans, fans realize they've got the pressure point. Yeah. They can, they can exercise that. Oh, look at Tennessee. I mean, they had hired Greg Schiano, and then Tennessee fans came out and said, no, no. Nope, you can't do that. So they did. (laughs) It's it's something else. Well, to close the book on this, because I don't want people to think that this is a discussion about the media. It doesn't matter. The media doesn't matter here. What it has to do with is the mindset of Mike Bianco. If Mike is this defensive about a perfectly reasonable question – what happens if they get eliminated in a regional? What happens in the next moment that is considered uncomfortable, controversial? Well, well, what do you ask him if they get eliminated in a regional? What's, what's the first question you ask him? Man, that is a great question. Because here's the thing. I mean, outside the obvious of how they got eliminated, yeah. but I mean, what's the long view question? That is, ask Mike Bianco as he's standing out there on the outfield turf at Swayze, not going to a Super Regional once again, if that happens. See, the thing I would want to ask is, okay, that makes two Supers in 13 years. Is there a common thread? And then he would say, oh, every baseball team is different. I don't know what you're trying to get at there, Ben. All right, fine. That's the common thread. What do you think? you and Keith Carter will discuss once you sit down in regards to the extension of your contract. What are you saying, Ben? Are you saying that I'm going to get fired? I don't know what you're getting at. He always tries to figure out what the storyline is with the question. So those would be my questions. Okay, you're going to sit down with Keith Carter. Keith Carter, obviously, two years ago, didn't roll over your contract because he said Omaha appearances matter. we got to get to Omaha more. That's what he said. Here's another year without Omaha, two years in a row now. What are the conversations going to be like now? Because I know, I've heard at least, excuse me, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I've heard that you took great offense to him not extending you. That really bothered you. So when y'all sit down, 
knowing what it was like a couple years ago, knowing that nothing's really changed since then, knowing how upset you were, what will those conversations entail, do you think? And his response will be, what are you getting at? What are you saying? Me and Keith Card have a great relationship. I can't make the guy answer the question. You're right. And I'm right. not trying to sit here and beat my chest and go, oh, I'm super big bad that asked all, all the questions. It isn't about me. It's about Mike. But I, I want to make this point, and I think it's valid. You know what a lot of coaches don't realize is there's a uh, a thin blue line, if you will, amongst media. But you and Chase are competitors, okay? Um, everybody knows that. You try to you try to outdo each other for information. Both of you do an excellent job. But you know, attacking the media is never a smart move by a coach. Used to be Ever. a long. Um, running joke in the media, the minute a coach turns on the media and starts attacking the media, I mean, it's like the last line right. of defense. He's getting fired. That's exactly that. That's that's a, a, a pretty decent maxim. Still, still effective. Um, you often, very often, see that. Um, you know, we saw a lot of that at the tail end of Houston Nuts uh, reign here in Oxford, mm-hmm. where Houston began attacking the media. Um, you know, it's not the media's fault. They're there to tell a story. And, you know, media has to be accountable to their readers. Mm-hmm. And in a message board environment like you and I work, they hold you accountable, as they should. And, um, you know, that's uh, – That's a but, great but, point. But point we're is, held accountable? You mean to tell me you're exactly. above reproach? Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, Rebel Scooter 42 or whoever <laughs> – he doesn't think we're beyond reproach. I guarantee you that. Uh, uh, some of the stuff know. I've been called on the message board is just, oh, God. Yeah, well, you and I have had plenty of private discussions about how to uh, how you have to psychologically deal with that. Yeah, shut up, you ginger asshole. You know, I'm not going into a press conference going, hey, Mike, you ginger asshole. You know what I mean? Like, we're just asking you questions well, that are relevant. Yeah, well, you got to understand this, though. I mean, we have thousands upon thousands of subscribers to the old Miss spirit. We really only have about 200 active posters from the best I can see. That means, uh, you know, what, almost 5,000 of them are there for the information. Um, so when you're getting slammed like that as a member of the media, and boy, this conversation is straight. Um, you just can't, you can't, you listen, obviously, but you can't let it affect you because there are some people on there who only want to affect you, and you can't let them. You can't let them do that. Not for not for nine ninety five a month. Just don't I mean, get hey, all defensive. You, you start exactly. Just don't get exactly. defensive when you get asked questions that are more than fair. All right, moving on here. Let's do a recruit check. We'll get right back to David Johnson for a recruit check in this edition of Talk of Champions. After I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Finally, at long last, Oxford is getting back to normal. The sun is shining. Those dreary winter months, they're behind us. Better yet, you actually get to experience Ole Miss Athletics events in person. What a world. What better way to get there than in a new car, truck, or Jeep? The only place to go for your next vehicle is Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. They'll take care of you. And I know, because I've bought a car there myself. And the experience was too easy. Seamless, even. 
Their only goal is to get you in the vehicle you've always wanted at a good price. So reach out today. Don't wait. Give them a call. 662-234-8000. That's 662-234-8000. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's 2201 East University Avenue. Just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Christ of Nod Sheep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. Check it. Check it. Recruit check. All right, David, so thinking about recruiting, Ole Miss football recruiting right now, you mentioned the camps before we just started ranting and raving. Well, really just me. It was me ranting and raving. Um, before I started ranting and raving about press conference and just general media decorum, you mentioned camps and recruiting. What's happening right now? Well, you know, right now the, the staff's on, on a well-deserved uh mini vacation, if you will, doesn't mean they're not recruiting. They're still throwing out some offers and things like that. They'll all get back to town in earnest next week uh, to get ready for, uh, for all of these summertime camps, which basically between June 4th and June 18th, you're going to have a blitz of prospects in Oxford. Uh, everything coming for everything from lineman camp to high school team seven on seven camps to your standard routine prospect camps it's going to be nothing but a recruiter palooza if you will for the first 18 days of june and uh man we're really looking excited to that we can talk about guys that we think are hot on old miss and old miss is hot on right now but the proof is always in the pudding who gets in their car who shows up this summer for these camps and visits and you know that's really where we're at but I got to admit to you, every time I close my eyes and I think about Ole Miss recruiting, I, I see this guy throwing the football in this green jersey, and that's oh, uh, Arch Manning. I mean, that's the biggest. I know he's a 23, but in all honesty, let, let, let's be honest, that's the biggest Ole Miss recruiting line out there right now. Just don't let Is that turn into what, another Peyton Manning recruitment, man. Just don't let that happen. Well, it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. I mean, when Peyton was being recruited – there were message boards, but there wasn't all this social media stuff around. So now this is going to be, as it heats up, I think even worse. I really and truly do. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, you know, there are no, um, I don't want to say there isn't any loyalty or allegiances anymore, but kids are a lot smarter. Prospects are a lot smarter. My deal is Arch Manning doesn't owe Ole Miss anything. So if he goes somewhere Amen. else, good for him, man. Pick your school and enjoy your life. Look out for number you one. You know, you can think you can think of a hundred reasons Arch Manning ought to come to Ole Miss. Yep. But you can think of a hundred reasons he ought not to. Yep. And that's not a knock on Ole Miss. I mean, I'm talking about just from having to stand in the footsteps of his famous uncle and his famous grandfather at the same school and the expectations. And you might argue he's going to have those expectations no matter where he plays. He could go to Alaska Anchorage, who I don't even think has a football program, but his expectations would be huge there as well. But, uh, you know, that, to me, that's the thing that's already starting to matter the most to Ole Miss fans is whether or not Arch Manning's going to be wearing rebel red and blue. Uh, you know, you've been reading Steve Wilfong, our, one of our national recruiting guys for 247 Sports, has done an excellent job on charting Arch Manning's 
thought process, even Cooper Manning's uh, information flow in terms of where Arch is going to visit this summer. Now, recently a story came out where Arch did not include Ole Miss amongst the schools he's going to visit this summer. Those are the two schools he's obviously most familiar with. One's in his own backyard. The other one he grew up knowing everything you need to know about. So, and, and, and hearing information from the best of sources, the most trusted of sources about Ole Miss, his father, Cooper, his uncle, Eli, his grandfather, Archie. Uh, so, you know, he doesn't need to visit Ole Miss this summer. He doesn't need to camp at Ole Miss this summer. For what? Why? Why? Just to make some headlines? Maybe give me an interview where I can catch him outside the Manning Center? Uh, that'd be great. But um, but he's not coming to Oxford this summer. No big surprise. No reason for the alarms to go off. Uh, he doesn't need to come here. Now, I would pay close attention to where he is going to visit. Uh, you know, I think Clemson is among those destinations. Certainly, you hear a lot about Texas and Steve Sarkeesian right now uh, in the recruitment of Arch Manning. But um, it's it's too early right now to uh, start freaking out. And I don't think this is – if he doesn't come here, I don't think it's going to be a sudden knife to the gut for Ole Miss fans. I think you're going to see it coming from a mile away. Now, while I say don't worry about him not coming this summer, maybe you're starting to get a glimpse of that right now. But uh, I don't know. I really don't know. But I do know that's the recruiting storyline that matters the most right now to Ole Miss fans. And he's a 23. What is Ole Miss going to do in the transfer portal? That's a good question. Um, You know, I think you're still looking at a D tackle. I think you're looking at a tight end. Uh, And then I think you're looking at a best available scenario. They've got three spots for guys they can add through the transfer portal right now that would be immediately eligible this fall. So I think they're going to fill all three of them. But, um, you know, the who, the what, the when, we've got a lot of speculation on the tight end over at Jacksonville State. But, you know what, a lot of other programs want him. A lot of other programs want him. So we'll just have to see how it all bounces out. I know they're kicking the tires on potentially bringing in an offensive lineman, you know, this summer. That uh, would maybe provide them a little bit more depth up front. Kind of makes it difficult right now with not having an offensive line coach on staff at this moment. But, um, you know, Ben, I mean, there's no good answer to that. I wish I could give you some great in-depth and and detail and insight on what what, uh, and who they're going to bring in. I think they do fill the three spots. I think you're going to see some action there. But, uh, you know, right now we're just kind of in wait-and-see mode. Do we even know the board right now? The board in terms of just the overall uh, recruiting board and what Ole Miss is pursuing this class and what it absolutely has to have, maybe the top, top prospects. You know, I think you've got a general idea of who their most desirable guys are. Um, But no, to be honest with you, I mean, as far as a pecking order, no, because that stuff is so fluid. I mean, maybe you got a guy who's the number three outside linebacker on your board. And he picks up the phone and calls you tomorrow and says, Hey, I want to commit. And you go, Hmm, I got two guys ahead of them on the board, but they're not ready to commit and we may not get them. Does that by happenstance and timing make the number three guy on your board at outside linebacker, all of a sudden your number one guy, because he's ready to jump in the boat 
or do you hold him off? And maybe you're not going to be his number one anymore after that. It's so easy to go in there and go, okay, here's a static list. Here's, here are the top offensive tackles Ole Miss wants in order of how they want them. But that's really not how recruiting works. I mean, so again, I got A, B, C, and D on my board in order of the way I want them. D calls me and says, Coach, I'm ready to come. And you have to go, okay, is A going to come? Is B going to come? Do we realistically have a chance to get C? We like these three guys better than this guy, but this guy's ready to come. Does that all of a sudden make D A and make A B and so on and so on? Very often it does. So, you know, what is uh what might be accurate today as far as those board orders go might not be accurate when the sun comes up in the morning. There's so many moving parts to recruiting. So many. I mean, I know going into spring practice, Ryan Brubaker was one of the top, if not the top offensive linemen on their 2022 board. The kid out of uh, Denver, Pennsylvania. Okay? So, Brubaker comes down here for the Grove Bowl with his whole family. I sat there and talked with him a good 10 minutes, interview him and everything in the stands. I can tell you right now, Ryan Brubaker is no longer their number one target. Not because of anything Ryan Brubaker did. He came down and visited, left and went home to Pennsylvania. They fired the offensive line coach. And Brubaker tells me a couple of days ago, Ole Miss will not get an official visit now. So, you know, that happened. So he's not the number one target anymore. Again, recruiting is, there's so many moving pieces to it. It is, you know, anybody that sits there and tells you, I can tell you, this is the order. This is what they want. I mean, I mean it's like uh, it's like trying to separate, separate the ingredients in a cake mix. I mean, you know, you, you really can't. You can't pull this out and pull that out and go, that's the most important thing or that's the most important one because without it, it tastes like crowd. Last one, and then we got to jump to Kylie McDaniel, ESPN Baseball Insider. Give me two of David's most coveted prospects. Not necessarily the prospects that Ole Miss has as their most coveted, but the guys you like the most that you think would be great for Ole Miss to add. Just two guys for David. David's most wanted. Wow. Wow, that's a good question. That's a great question. Um, Look, you surprised me with the one about, okay, they get eliminated in the regional. What are you asking Mike afterwards? So here you go. Here's yours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One, I'll start with, and this is not a cop out, but one, they've already got. And I just think it's extremely important that they hold on to him because others are coming after him. And that is a guy that we don't talk about much, partly because, look, if this kid was up in North Mississippi, he'd be on the tip of everybody's tongue. But he's stuck down in South Mississippi at Moss Point. And that's Larry Simmons, a wide receiver. I think this kid is a game changer. I think he's a uh, he's a big time playmaker. I think he's a yeah, if he if he ends up crossing the finish line with Ole Miss, I think he's going to be the next great wide receiver at Ole Miss. Uh, Larry Simmons out of Moss Point, four star prospect, stuck down there in South Mississippi where there aren't any two four seven sports sites anywhere near. South Mississippi football gets ignored. I, I got to be honest with you. And uh, it, it's partly because the recruiting guys 
who cover SEC schools in Mississippi. We're all up North Mississippi. We're in Oxford and Starkville. Um, so we don't get to see those guys play a lot on Friday nights, but Larry Simmons is one of them. You know, the other kid that, uh, that if I could just pick up and set in this class would be Branson Robinson, the running back down in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, uh, I, I, he's got classic Auburn back written all over him, you know, one of those type of guys that goes back, you know, for so many generations over at our Auburn, I mean, back to when, William Andrews was running the football for them even before Bo Jackson and so on and so on. Uh, I think he's that kind of back. I'd love to see him playing football at Ole Miss. Don't think it's going to happen, but uh, there are two Mississippi guys right there that I would, I would uh, throw at you. So who's going to be the offensive line coach? No, I'm just kidding. I'm playing. I'm playing. Oh, that's a great one, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I actually did a little bit more digging on that yesterday and the day before and uh, stuck my shovel deep into the ground and pulled up nothing but dirt oh, okay. and not any kind of – not good dirt. There was no gold down there in the veins I was mining information from. As a matter of fact, I had somebody, and if I could tell you who you would laugh, call me and ask me what I was hearing. And uh, – it, um, not anybody in the media or not a fan or anybody, but uh, if I could tell you who, you would really understand how close Lane is keeping this to his vest. Um, you know, they're, they're not in town right now. They're going to be back in town next week. I think that's probably the earliest we see something happen. Don't hold me to that, though. Lane Kiffin obviously has a mind of his own and methods of his own. Uh, you know, by the, time, by the time Ben and I get off this podcast, he may have an O-line coach. But uh, information like that has been very, very hard to come by. As expected, we anticipated that. He's David Johnson enjoying himself on his back porch with the birds chirping with a fire engine or policeman. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. How about that? Yeah, well, uh, yeah I don't know. I'm surrounded by woods. Are you okay? Uh, Are you okay? I, I am good. Okay. I, my house is about 200 yards off Highway 6. So I would imagine – uh, fire truck is going down highway six, but okay. I'm surrounded by wood, so I can't see it. So, uh, we'll just have to, uh, hope everybody's okay. He writes to the Ole Miss spirit. So do I Ole Miss spirit.com and affiliate of two, four, seven sports. If you haven't already subscribed, rate review talk of champions and iTunes. And when you do leave a five star review, doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars also available in SoundCloud and Spotify, just simply search talk of champions, David Johnson at rebels, two, four, seven on Twitter. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. As always, thanks for having me. Going now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to Kylie McDaniel, ESPN Baseball Insider. Before we do, let's hear from B&A Bank and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Oxford, Mississippi is always at its best in the spring and summer. The sun is shining, the square is popping, and you actually now get to go back to Ole Miss Athletics events in person. What could be better? But the only way to truly enjoy everything that Oxford and Ole Miss has to offer is to make sure you're still taking care of yourself, keeping yourself safe, and that you have a pharmacy you know you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. 
Cheney's Pharmacy, a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down, it's not close. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard, that's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at cheneyspharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Going now to the Modern Woodman Phone Line to speak to Kylie McDaniel. Been reading his stuff since he was at Fangrass, but now he's at ESPN as the ESPN Baseball Insider. Knows all about draft prospects. And why is that important for Ole Miss? Because Ole Miss is number one draft prospect in baseball. Gunnar Hoagland is now out for the year with a season-ending elbow Tommy John surgery. We'll talk all about it. Kyle, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. First of all, when I was looking at your latest mock, you had Gunnar going eighth overall to the Rockies. But that was before, you had the caveat, that was before you knew the news officially that he was going to be down for the season because he was having Tommy John. So now where are you at with Gunnar Hoagland? Uh, so there's two different possibilities for him. Uh, I think one is, you know, if teams continue to play it straight, which you see a little more commonly with college players, just because there's not the threat of going back to school um, as much as there is for a high school player, you know, skip, skipping uh, pro ball to go to school for three years. Uh, if you played straight, I think he probably fits 15 to 22, uh, roughly. Um, and it's a little funny because Jaden Hill obviously had like the same situation at LSU where he was a projected top 10 pick. He's had Tommy John. And I think by the time he got hurt, he was probably around eight or 10. He started the year, maybe like three or four. Uh, and now because his whole thing was, will he show us the polish, the execution, the bulk of performance, what he can do as a starter. And he didn't really get a chance to do that. He was, you know, he showed flashes, but he didn't really do it. So he goes from eight to maybe 25. Like he had a, a big drop. And in Gunner's case, he is polished. He's been on the radar for four years. He throws strikes. And I wrote an article a couple weeks ago at ESPN.com about how that kind of pitcher, the kind of pitcher Gunner was before this spring when he was like a late first round type, but he had the things he had were his delivery, his arm action, his health track record, which obviously now is a little more spotty, um, his command, all that kind of stuff. And it helps stuff play up. That's exactly the kind of pitcher that teams are looking for right now because they think they can teach guys how to have better stuff better than they can teach guys how to have control. So that means when Gunner has Tommy John, he slides maybe 10 picks. And when Jaden Hill has it, maybe he slides 20 picks. And going back to what I said about two different things, the other way this could work is that a team that goes maybe under slot or just right at slot on their first pick can then take all their money in their second pick, which would be somewhere in the 30 to 40 range. And they might be able to offer Gunner more money than he would get if he just played things straight and went, you know, 17th overall or, or wherever. So those are kind of the two spots I would imagine he'll land, but I would imagine the bonus will be something like the 15th to 20th pick wherever he lands. 
One thing I've said, if you watch the history of Tommy John, it's not the death sentence it used to be. Now it's like an 80%, if not better, success rate. And a lot of organizations, I know the Braves are one of them, and you know the Braves very well. The Braves don't even care if you've had Tommy John, because a lot of organizations believe that for every pitcher, it, there's a time, right, that the UCL is just going to give out. So the stigma of Tommy John, it's not there anymore. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I actually did uh, for opening day in the big leagues. I did a ranking of aces because, you know, over time you do a lot of like, oh, this guy's a potential ace. This guy's a number three starter. And a lot of fans are like, all right, who are the number three starters? Like, who are the aces? How many are there? And so I was like, all right, let's lay out who they are. And I put it out that there were, I believe, 11 aces. And then the 12th one, Chris Sale was currently hurt. But I was like, if he, you know, if he was pitching tomorrow, he'd be the 12th one. Of those 12, I believe it was either six or seven of them had had Tommy John before. And it's gotten to the point now where I think the way to think about it, because I because I looked at the the tier of pitchers, like the 10 or 12 guys that just missed that list, and it was not as prevalent there. So the way I think about it is if you're going to be an ace, Tommy John will not slow you down, uh, but it doesn't necessarily help you. And if you're like a number two, number three starter, it doesn't, uh, you know, you're, you're like a little bit less elite so that that may affect you a little bit more. But if you're like Jacob deGrom, like had, he had DJ uh, in the, in the low minors before people knew who he was. It's like that obviously is not affecting him. Like Steven Strasburg's like 10 years on a new elbow ligament. It obviously has not really affected him that much. Um, he's basically the same guy he was before it. Um, so yeah, that, that's the way most teams think about it now that we've had, you know, whatever it is, 10, 15 years of this being pretty widespread, which is if you're going to be John Smoltz, like Tommy John didn't slow him down either. Yeah, and with Gunnar Hoagland, what was your initial or your just general evaluation of him? Well, he popped up in high school. He was at all the summer showcase events uh, going into his draft spring, and he was one of, you know, 30 pitchers in that bucket of, like, 88 to 91, okay breaking ball, pretty decent delivery. Of these 30 guys, two of them are going to be hitting 96 in the spring and will be big guys, but you have no idea which ones it's going to be. And scouts a lot of times will like to place bets, you know, sort of friendly bets where it's like, all right, that guy's got a really good arm action, but it's like 87 to 90. I think he's going to be the one that pops. And in Gunner's draft spring, he was all of a sudden 90 to 93, hitting 95. And I believe he, I know for most of the spring, I think he finished the spring with zero walks his entire spring. And the stuff was, you know, averaged a little above, but it was silky smooth delivery, athlete, all that kind of stuff. And then he didn't sign with Pittsburgh from what I can gather was some sort of dispute about his uh, medicals, which was basically projecting that he'll get hurt one day, but he had never been hurt up until that point. So they couldn't come to terms. Obviously now, you know, that that has played out. So what if team still had that lingering concern, that's now gone because once, you know, once you project Tommy John may happen, once it happens, the new ligament, that's a whole separate thing. Um, and then in college, it was the knock on him coming into the spring was, I believe his average velocity as a sophomore was 89. And so teams were like, all right, we obviously need like a little more ump, but every indicator is there that the velocity will come up. Uh, but the stuff is, you know, still kind of average, sometimes a little above, sometimes a little below the same as high school, but he's performing in the SEC doing that. And, you know, he's a good athlete, all these sorts of things. And then first start of the year, he came out the first couple innings, 93 to 96, and all of his stuff was above average with four-pitch mix and still had all the same command he had before. And then it was like, oh, okay. He was, you know, maybe like a comp to late first-round type of pitcher that I think probably would have gone close to 20th because he's exactly the type of pitcher that everyone wants because of how quickly the stuff can tick up and then how, you know, premium of a prospect he becomes when that day comes it already came. And so then it was like, Oh, he's not a sort of buy low. He's the type of guy we like to project on. It was like, Oh, well, everyone agrees. It's above average stuff, above average command, SEC performance, good delivery. Like that's not a buy low or is he your type? Like he's basically everybody's type. Like every team would be interested in that kind of guy. 
Uh, and now we're back into that area, going back to the article I wrote a couple weeks ago, where it's like, okay, now not every team wants to take a guy that's not going to pitch for a year that never had huge stuff in the first place. Uh, but there's, you know, more than half of them, I think, would be fine taking a chance because especially in this draft, once you get outside of the top eight to 10 picks, it really thins out and all the guys look kind of the same. It's a little bit down from the average year. And so having a guy where you think you can get a potential, you know, frontline starter, um, there's just not a lot of those floating around. Yeah. And the reason I ask is because before the year, we wrote a bunch of stories over here on the beat in Oxford about how Gunner had polished his slider. That's something that he added as a sophomore and really the results took off. And then coming into this year, flip-flopping, becoming the Friday night guy over Doug Nikhazy and those results continuing to be what they were up until Tommy John, obviously. The slider being added to his repertoire was kind of a big reason why he made that jump. I didn't know if in scouting and development circles that they'd seen that kind of jump too. Yeah, I mean, when he was in high school, it was it was fastball, curveball, and the curveball was sometimes above average, but usually fringy to average. Um, so, yeah, it, it did seem like – I remember the first time I saw him in the spring uh, in high school, I was staying next to a couple of cross-checkers, and they were like, is that an arm slot more for a slider? Like, he was in that in-between area. We weren't quite sure which uh, which pitch would be better. Uh, and I think that just goes back to having, you know, the, the SEC tends to have the best uh, pitching coaches – um, just because like those sorts of things where it's like, all right, you get three years to figure out how to push this guy in the right direction. The pro teams are pretty good at doing this. Obviously they're not perfect either, but like, they're probably going to figure it out. And the colleges, I would say 10, 12 years ago, uh, were not very good at that sort of thing. You'd have to have like a really good former pitching coach. And then there's some places, uh, like Vanderbilt and maybe Arkansas, are maybe the best at it in terms of embracing technology and really going after that stuff in a way that the most progressive pro teams do. Wake Forest is another one that does it. Um, but then there's other schools. I think Florida is one of them where they just have really good sort of old school hands-on pitching guys that they just tend to figure stuff out if you give them three years to figure it out. And I guess this is an example of that with Ole Miss. Is the general takeaway here for Ole Miss fans that might be thinking, oh God, Tommy John, he's going to drop. It's going to kill his draft stock and he's going to lose millions. He's probably still around where he's going to get drafted originally. Yeah, no, he's the, all this goes back to, he's the kind of guy that is most likely to hold his value through a Tommy John. If you've got SEC performance, this guy throws strikes, track record, all that kind of stuff. Those are all the things you'd want to line. I mean, you could almost say he's the perfect guy to sort of retain his value through Tommy John. It's almost like, you know, buying that uh, two-year-old Honda Accord. It's like, what's that going to be worth <laughs> in four years? It's like pretty much the same thing. Like you just don't, don't put too many miles on it, but it's like basically the same car. Whereas, you know, Jaden Hill is like a little more of that like Lamborghini where it's like, ah, I, I don't really know. Like this, this car could be worth $400,000. It could be worth $20,000. Like, well, we'll see what happens. Well, look, I've been texting back and forth with a bunch of Braves fans. And I'm like, hey, look, uh, Braves have always loved taking Tommy John, guys. That's what I'm looking for. You know, just take the Braves, take him in the 20s. I'm good. Uh, he, I mean, there's a decent shot he'll be there. I think if he gets low enough where the Graves can pick him, that then means the odds that he's got a bigger number behind them is now pretty high. Because like I said, at that point, once he gets past about 2022, 20, I think that probably means he's got a deal somewhere in the 30s or 40s for you know 15th overall money or something like that. Um, and there's been some sort of indications that that may, that may be the more likely of the two outcomes. Uh, and that's actually the problem the Braves ran into last year with, I don't know if you remember, uh, Nick Bitsko was the big sort of mystery yep. man coming into the draft where he'd only thrown a handful of innings and he was throwing 100 in a warehouse in Pennsylvania and he uh, had just turned 18. Uh, and the sort of thing I was told leading into the draft was if he gets past the Rays, who ended up taking him, then no one's got enough money to pay him until you get to the teams that have their second pick where they then have enough money to pay him. And then once you get past the top of those teams, then no one's got money left. And I think that may be the spot Gunners in because if you look at the – if you look at the draft spots where uh, the slots uh, up at the top of the draft where he was expected to go, it's like five, $6 million. 
and you look down at the spots we're talking about right now, it's like three and a half to maybe four and a half. It's, you know, it's still real good money, but for a team that like picks in the back of every round, uh, going a million over slot on their first pick, uh, then gets to the point where you're kind of punting the whole draft. That was my one Braves question. See, I snuck that fandom question in just real quick, real easy before I let you go here. Um, real quick, Doug Nikhazy, he's draft eligible this year. He's going to go. What's kind of your evaluation of him? And is he a top three round guy? Where do you kind of project him? Uh, so last time I saw him in person was uh, two summers ago with Team USA. Uh, and I was sending some scouts that were saying, oh, this guy has all the same characteristics that Reed Detmers of Louisville, who went 10th overall in the draft last year. He's got all the same characteristics same kind of stuff. And then in Detmer's draft year, he went from, you know, 88 to 91, touching to 93, which was basically where Nikhazy was at that point. and still kind of is now uh, to sitting, you know, 90 to 93 and hitting some 94s and 95s. So he goes, if he does that with all the other things in place, then, you know, he'll go in the middle of the first round. I was like, oh yeah, good point. That is a guy that like, that's the, that's the path he could follow. And like I said, like he didn't take that huge step forward in terms of velocity. Uh, and so that's going to limit him. And there's other guys uh, that are of this type. There's Christian McLeod at Mississippi State. There's Steven Hadjar at Michigan. Uh, Joe Rock up at Ohio. There's like four or five Dustin Signs at Texas A&M. There's four or five lefties uh, of different types that are all sort of average-ish stuff, pretty good command, uh, can really pitch, usually pretty good athlete, multiple years of performance. Obviously, Doug with three years of performance in the SEC and some Team USA probably has like the best resume of those guys. Um, but that'll come down to take it, tell them the difference between those guys and picks like 50 to 90, roughly speaking. Um, it'll kind of come down to what, what teams, which one of those teams thing has the best sort of between the ears adaptability and which one of them has the specific characteristics in their pitches, which these teams can go really deep into the physics on this, which one sort of fits their style. And most of these guys are that high arm slot, four seam fastball, curve ball down in the zone, uh, change up like that type of guy is the kind of guy they like. And colleges have gotten much better at developing guys in that way. So I would say there's a chance he goes in the second round. I would expect third, maybe top of the fourth is like kind of the range he's in right now. Can Ole Miss fans expect those guys to move quickly? Can they make it to the big leagues? Do you think those are guys that are going to be big leaguers? Uh, I mean, odds would say bet on one rather than two. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you're trying to line up like who are the guys that are polished, move quickly, uh, have a chance to get a cup of coffee, I would say the sort of polished performers, multiple years of history, all that kind of stuff. And so obviously Gunner and Doug would be, you know, they both be on that list. I think Doug because of the velocity moved down a little bit, but if he, you know, if he gets drafted by Cleveland and then is throwing ninety to ninety three in a couple of years, then he moves up near the top of that list. Anthony Servidio went in the third. Tyler Keenan went in the fifth. There was only five rounds in the draft last year. What about Anthony Servidio, who was drafted in the third last year? Uh, he's a little bit different. I think he was seen as like a fifth, sixth rounder entering the year. Uh, and then the the power sort of came in a shortened season. And so you have to sort of take some chances on, can we consolidate that? I would yeah. say because of his sort of speed, defense, glove, that sort of thing, it's very likely that he, you know, gets to AAA, gets on a 40-man roster, probably gets a cup of coffee. Uh, the question is, how, is it utility infielder, or is there enough power that he turns into more of an impact guy? Um, who was the other guy you mentioned? Tyler Keenan. Uh, yeah, so that's another guy that's it's sort of bat hit uh, is like you know really I would say power is the is the is the carrying uh, tool there, and so that guy you can pretty much just judge from the um, from the stat line where if he's hitting home runs and hitting above like two thirty and walking a little bit, uh, then he's probably again in AAA makes the forty man gets a cup of coffee you know can play first and third and DH and you know maybe some corner outfield and you know can sort of be that kind of uh, utility corner guy. Uh, 
but he's probably, I would say, the least likely of the four just because there's almost no margin for error when you're sort of a one-tool guy with the power and you're hoping that there's some defense or hit or something that comes along. I said that was the last one. I promise this one is. Look, I said if I ever got Kylie on, I'd have all these questions, and I try to do well to not go long-winded. I can't help myself. Gray Kessinger and Ryan Rollison. Ryan Rollison feels like he's knocking on the door. Yeah, he's right there. I know uh, early this spring his velocity was down a little bit. Um, so keep an eye on his numbers. Obviously the Colorado uh, farm system doesn't always play in the most uh, pitcher friendly areas. So his numbers may not be great. Most of their young prospects uh, on the pitching side don't have great stats because of that. Um, so yeah, and keep an eye on him for the performance. If the strikeouts get, you know, go to his fan page, if it's seven and a half or higher case per nine, then I would expect him, you know, even if with the diminished velocity uh, to be on the short list of guys to go to the big leagues and sorry, I'm not, I'm forgetting the other guy too. Great I keep going on a roll and I forget who the other That's guy okay. is. Great oh, Kessinger. Kessinger, yeah. yeah. He actually, when I wrote him up this offseason for uh, Houston, uh, one of their guys had told me he may be the most likely guy in our farm system. And this is, you know, farm system with like a couple top 100 guys. Uh, they said he's the most likely to have a 10-year career. And they were like, I'm not going to say how hmm. good it is or if he's anything more than a utility guy, but it's like between having enough skills to be a big leaguer, uh, dad that was, I believe, a big leaguer, if not like a high minor leaguer, uh, and, you know, can, you know, fit in the, in the lineup and can fit in the clubhouse and can do all the things you need him to do. Like this guy's the most likely out of all of our guys. And they're like, you know, they thought they might've a couple all-stars, but they're like, this guy's the most likely to have a 10 year career. So yeah, I would say everyone you mentioned that might be the guy most likely to make it and hang around for a while. ESPN baseball insider, Kylie McDaniel at Kylie MCD on Twitter. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me on.